Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello. Okay. Hello and welcome to IEEE REST Software Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Guy Hoffman, and I'm an assistant professor at the, the Sibley School of Mechanical Engineering um, at Cornell University. Mm-hmm. So, could you please tell us about your research soft robotics? Yeah, so my, my main area of research is human-robot interaction. Um, I studied uh, human-robot interaction with uh, rigid robotics for most of my career since I started my PhD. And in the last uh, couple of years, I've started to also look at human-robot interaction with uh, soft robots. Um, and uh, one research project that we worked on was to make a soft robotic skin for robots to express internal states, mm-hmm. like emotional states. And um, in uh, another project, I was working on a sort of handcrafted fabric a social robot that people can make themselves at home. Mm-hmm. So why just work with soft robotics? When or how you became interested in uh, soft robotics? So a lot of my research has to do with uh, robot design uh, and specifically I've been working on social robot design for, uh, for a long time. Um, I've been working on designing different robots for the home and uh, and looking at uh, different trends in robot design, especially sort of non-anthropomorphic designs. And I felt that in, in terms of the design possibilities, uh, social robots has really never looked at um, the, the sense of touch in a way uh, as one of the ways in which uh, robots communicate. And I feel that the sense of touch and the way that things, the tactile aspects of interaction is really important when you interact with animals and when uh, you interact with uh, materials. And so I, I felt that there was a gap there. So um, these two very different projects came out of the sense that people don't just interact with robots uh, from a distance, but actually mm-hmm. might to have a more tactile interaction with robots. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is a lot of interesting points about your uh, work because you, you have a story behind how you came interested in, in human body motion or the motion itself. So I would like to know how this come because in your TED Talks you mentioned there is a change in career you had to have to, to do. How would this was easy at the beginning for you to, to focus on this domain at the beginning? Yeah, so, so I, I've had a, um, I was always kind of equally interested in in the humanities and arts as I was in, in math and computer science and engineering. And I think um, when I went to college, I realized that I want to equally want to be a filmmaker mm-hmm. and a, a computer scientist at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of went back and forth between the two and I studied uh, in both departments and I felt... They, they both have some really important intellectual lessons. Um, so I ended up uh, working on a, a, a computer vision 
lab and I did some my master's in a computer vision lab um, because I thought it was related to cinema in mm-hmm. some way. Um, and then I worked as a, as a software developer for a while after I finished my master's. But I always had this idea that I, I also wanted to work on, on films. Mm-hmm. And um, then I worked on a, on a film production mm-hmm. and thought that you know animation would be more interesting because there's less people to deal with. Uh, film production was just like hundreds of people that you had to mm-hmm. work with like all the time. And so I decided to study animation. Um, yeah. I went to art school and studied animation. And that, that's when I got really interested in, in movement and in um, just timing. And when I decided to go for a PhD, there was a new, new Cynthia Brazil's group was just yeah. starting. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be really interesting to think about robotics from a perspective of movement and timing. Yeah. Um, and that was a great place for me to start thinking about human robot interaction. From mostly, I, most, my whole work has always been on nonverbal interaction. So physical interaction, movement, timing. Um, and anything has to do with just uh, body language and things that are not uh, not verbal. Mm-hmm. So, what are the most misconceptions about soft robotics? Because uh, your work is oriented about how we can inspire from the movement and eye contact, which is really interesting. And in all of your work, you combine with an art or dancing and AI. So, it's really a nice combination. But what did you think most misconception about soft robotics and all? Um, I think a lot of, I don't know what, what the misconceptions are. I think a lot of people maybe think about soft robotics, maybe from a flexibility and safety point of view, um, where it is, it is more about the compliance of the shape to different mm-hmm. uh, pragmatic tasks. Um, whereas my interest is really in soft robotics as a expressive material thinking about how materials are used in design Um, and just like when you have you know furniture design or you have uh, a design of a a smartphone you know the the choice to use certain metal is not just Mm -hmm. about the way it looks but it's also about the way it feels in your hand the temperature you're you're sensing Mm -hmm. uh, and the texture and so i felt that um Similarly to the movement design principle, I also, I also thought, you know, movement is not just the movement of rigid kinematic joints in, in 3D space, but movement is also, you know, if you look at the ocean, the ocean, the waves, you know, mm-hmm. move and, and it's, it's sort of more of a deformation. And I thought that was a huge opportunity in terms of the design potential for, for taking the softness not just for its pragmatic mm-hmm. purpose, but for its expressive and communicative and interactive, uh, emotional and psychological aspect. Mm-hmm. 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 So, yeah, yeah. I can add some, some more Yeah, for this. sure. Yeah, Another project is this fabric-based, you know, woven robot that uses knitted fabrics or crocheted fabrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, fashion designers have worked for many, you know, centuries on just the way that fabric moves and and when it's on your body uh, the way it attaches the way that uh, your bone and and body movements change the way that the folds and uh, 
increases move. And, and again, there's a lot of effort to try to make robots move in a very organic and you know, lifelike way, but completely ignoring the potential of materials to help you with this expressive movement. So we have made Blossom, which is, which is this robot that has a, a flexible kind of interior structure and over it is a soft skin or soft fabric that then can be used to, to move in a way that seems very realistic. Yeah, that's an interesting project. Uh, it's Google's. That's why um, you highlighted an important point about, the f- I think, this about the future of garment or smart uh, textile. So, because there's some recent uh, research about using smart material in, um, in textile, but I think we cannot get the movement you already have done uh, within the Blossom robot. I don't know whether you think about implying smart material uh, instead of because it is fully soft uh, robot, Pulsome. So do you have any idea that uh, you would like to advance in Pulsome robots in the future in terms of material uh, science? Yeah, yeah so, so, so I think the sensing is really one of the interesting, mm-hmm. this is kind of what we're working on um, these days. So these days we're trying to understand a little bit more what are the potential new ways that uh, you can you can create sensors in these uh, soft robots. So we have a, a project with uh, Professor Kirsten Peterson and Professor mm-hmm. Kreskasid here at Cornell, um, which is about inflatable robots. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're working on is how do we embed sensors in the inflatable robots? Mm-hmm. How do we make, uh, specifically, how do we create interactions that are possible uh, with, these, with these robots? So. One way is, you know, you're talking about smart materials. So smart materials could be, could have embedded sensors in them. You know, people have weaved different um, metals into into fabrics. Um, but other ways are also just to use the deformation um, that you can visually perceive on these on these materials and try to use those as, as sensors. Mm-hmm. There's actually an upcoming paper from our lab about. Sensing touch interaction with uh, deformation. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to discuss this point. What are the current challenges that you would like to solve in in your uh, whole uh, workings of robotics now? What's the challenge you're really facing? So again, my focus is human robot interaction. So yeah. I'm very interested in in the, in creating interactive soft robots that that people can can use and, and we've run into some um, some problems that first of them is, is the control of these you know textures it's not very precise so first on some level you could you could say that it's fine because you're just trying to express something but uh, even being able to quickly you know change the shape of something mm-hmm. to represent some kind of a reaction to an event um, it's usually quite difficult, and then also um, the hardware that has to be sort of on the back end of this is, is quite large. So if you want to have a small self-contained robot, it, it, it's very hard for it to generate enough power to really change mm-hmm. its shape in, yeah. a, in a quick way. Um, the second um, issue that, that we're, we're facing is, is, is really creating a, a rich enough um, language with which these soft textures can express their behaviors. Uh, so we have 
you know, shown in some research that people can pretty well distinguish different core emotions, but the, the detail and the, and, the, and the sort of subtleties are a little bit harder, harder to express. And finally, integrating these with sensors, a lot of sensors really assume kind of a rigid construction. And for interaction, you want to have, um, for example, if you want to do speech interaction, you can't have noisy pumps that are pushing air or other fluids into the robot. If you if you want to do um, vision, then you want you need to usually know in a pretty solid way where the camera is positioned. And if the robot is soft, it's hard to know where the camera ends up. Mm -hmm. uh, so combining sensing with uh, with the soft structures is also a challenge. I have a question about the smart lamp when when your video have like acting and responding to the emotion because I think it is now there is discussion about an AI and detecting emotion. Do you think that we have reached the point that we can really understand human emotion and generally and then we have robots interact? I think this is really interesting um, uh, application for elder people in all level that that this is kind of connecting with robotics. So I don't know what is your source about what have been done so far by AI and emotions in this concern, because I think um, what's, what I feel that the expression of the movement, I can feel uh, the robot, the way that we do as a human being. So, so how we think about the emotion in this, uh, in this concern, is it challenging yet or to integrate the motion of the soft robots? Yeah, so I, I would say that um, emotion recognition is very difficult. It's definitely not a solved problem. Mm -hmm. I would say the opposite. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of hype around it, and I think there's a lot of good attempts to detect specific kinds of emotions. But uh, I don't if, I don't believe that it's solved in any in any serious way. And, and, and the reason for this, so we've been trying to uh, do something even simpler just try to extract emotions from from a video sequence so we wanted to take some video and say okay here is a part with that's scary and here's the part that's funny and here's the part that's maybe you know tense and the way that some people have, have done it um, is looking at the facial expressions of the characters in the movie but it's also been shown that facial expressions without context are very are almost impossible to categorize correctly. And even humans, when they see, you know, when they see a, a face, they really don't like. I mean, a human doesn't really know whether someone looks angry or happy mm. without seeing the context. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the other way to do it is just is really. Uh, to use the context, right? So as to to say, um, you know, this. If you look at it, I, one one nice exercise I, I encourage people to do mm -hmm. is to take a scene of of some you know series you're watching, yeah. you know, and then you call somebody in from a from a different uh, room mm -hmm. and show them just you know one second of that scene. Mm -hmm. And then ask them, you know, what is this character feeling? And they they probably won't know the right answer mm -hmm. because they have to understand what is the context, what is the yeah. background, why why are these people in the room, 
what happened before, what are they expecting, what are they in a world, and then, and without all of these, I think it's hard to detect emotion. I, I think mm-hmm. people will be able to detect to detect emotions based on like long-term trajectories of data. So if I have if I had three grants rejected uh, on the same day, and then uh, my car is broke down, and I call, probably people can the computer can guess that I'm angry or disappointed. But not from. But a lot of the work right now is done with these instantaneous markers, like you know, mm-hmm. voice. Uh, so it works when people are exaggerating, you mm-hmm. know, their faces and their voices. But yeah, I think overall, it's a very difficult. Problem. I think this is a really interesting point about that context itself. So yeah, it's yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you about general. Uh, how do you think that self robotics community? Uh, would think in the future uh, or the long run that should we focus on designing smart material that can really have the capabilities uh, of sensing like any conductive polymer etc or we just have to focus on passive material and designing uh, control algorithm and AI to uh, achieve the desired performance so I don't know which category you think we have to focus on the long run for soft robotics So I've, um, I mean, soft robotics, I wouldn't say it's my core, you know, I, I don't work on materials. Yeah. So, so I don't, I, I've generally, in my, in my research, I've always felt that um, uh, integrated embodied approach, and this is also true for other AI projects I worked on, um, have higher, the highest pro- promise because once you... The intelligence is sort of part of the material, and uh, and and you're using the the way that the material behaves as part of the sensing and actuation. Mm-hmm. I think it's for a lot of the software voice projects that I've seen, it's really some of the the great advantage comes from that that the actual material or the actual structure or the actual way that the material is shaped enables particular behaviors and particular ways of sensing. That uh, that are then easier to, um, to to control, and this also you know, brings back this idea of context. Because once you use the actual physicality of the material as part of what you're sensing, what you're controlling, um, you can sort of take advantage of that to have a more holistic, integrated approach. So this is where I would believe the the biggest promise lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. What is the most interesting project you currently involve in soft robotics, and where human computer interaction is context in soft robotics? So it's it's the sense the sensor project. So we're trying to to create a new kind of uh, touch sensing mm-hmm. for inflatable robots, and and so it's really in the early stages right now. Uh, but we are we have we're demonstrating all kinds, of, and again the focus here is interactions. So we're demonstrating all kinds of interactive possibilities of a robot that's an inflatable robot that can detect different kinds of uh, um, gestures like you know poking and hugging and uh, stroking and touching um, with very simple sensing and also we are interested in the privacy applications of this of this uh, problem so you might be able to um, have this robot sense your interaction while still maintaining a, a 
sense of privacy uh, that the robot does not monitor everything about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of project under under construction right now. Awesome. Question is about how we can overcome the challenges. Actually, the, the question about because in soft robotics we have material science, control expert, maybe psychology or these different categories. How we can overcome the challenges of speaking different uh, languages in research? I think it's a I think it's a big it's a big problem, right? and and one of the things that people who are truly interested in uh, in the intersection between different intellectual fields. Mm -hmm. um, there's, I mean, there's always a challenge of, of, of knowing like where to fit in. I think that academia is, is generally structured in a very um, disciplinary and departmental mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Some places, I mean, just, just some places are more open-minded to research that brings in other traditions. But people who are generally more disciplinary, disciplined, or discipline-oriented, mm -hmm. um, they will perhaps feel that a certain research project is not enough of what they know to be that discipline. Um, so, so I think this is there's always a challenge I, I, I think that the way that I've always enjoyed doing it is through collaboration with people from other fields mm -hmm. and I think this brings together the knowledge but also the language um, uh, that, that then can be used and, and I found that if, if we have a collaboration with somebody from a different field then, then we can publish one aspect of the work in their field and one aspect of the work in our field and everybody sort of brings their own language to their community, but brings in the knowledge from the other person translated mm -hmm. to their community. Yeah. What is the most promising project have been so done so far by other social group uh, in soft robotics? You really fascinated about the the work. Um, well, it's, it's hard to choose. I have, uh, I have, I've also, I mean, I really like the. And I'm most familiar with the work here of uh, Rob Shepard, who is a colleague in my department. Yeah. He's been also in the design uh, um, world of social box, and he's just consistently very creative and very original in the, in the ways that he comes up with uh, using uh, materials, especially designing the structure of materials to achieve uh, different, different behaviors and different uh, pragmatic goals. So this is but I would uh, probably say that I'm the most uh, familiar and most impressed by. Yeah, actually, we we had him on the first episode or whatever. His work is really yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So you're working in 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 somehow combination of soft robotics and human computer interactions. So do you think that what could be the challenging that could face soft robotics? Because you bring it to next level about having the motion and. So, what do you think the challenges that could face soft robotics in the long run, or you see all oh, this is need to be improved or something is not really considered in soft robotics yet? So, so as I said, I, I think the, the specific uh, needs from interaction that are that need to be addressed in soft robotics, and the, the main thing I, I would say is the control and actuation of uh, of these. 
um, these social body structure. I think a lot of them rely on uh, on different uh, ways to pressurize fluids and to um, and they either need um, pumps or they need different kinds of uh, ways to generate power that are not very aligned with um, with you know home devices and home uh, appliances. So. So in a way, we have we have electric motors that can move things um, in a uh, pretty quickly uh, using different kinds of transmissions with rigid me mechanisms, and they fit well to the electric uh, you know, storage and power supplies we have at home. But mm -hmm. having something that can move in a in a precise and and fast enough way uh, by by moving fluids into different compartments. Um, we don't have a good solution for that yet. Mm. And, and, um, you know, if we're talking about I don't know, pressurized cartridges, you know, this is maybe not the right thing for a home for home use. If we're talking about pumps, and the noise would make it very hard for for interaction to be to be useful. Um, so these are kinds of the, the main the main topics. Other than that, I think there's. Really, not enough design research on um, on these kinds of social aspects of soft robotics. So I think mm -hmm. we need just much more understanding of how they can be integrated to the design of, of our robot. Mm -hmm. So do you think this is really how we can solve that? Is it to embrace the social consideration about robotics of robotics? So do you have any thoughts about this concern? I don't have any solutions. Mm -hmm. I just, I just think that this is an interesting area that people have not looked at enough. Mm -hmm. How do you see soft robotics would be in the future? That's something okay you can imagine. I can see soft robotics um, in our homes with certain uh, um, application or something. So how you can see it in the future? I, I, I have a rule in, in all of my interviews. I never talk about the future. Mm -hmm. I have no idea about the future. I want to talk about the present and the past. Okay, that's so, interesting. I don't mm -hmm. know about the future, anything. Mm -hmm. So, what yeah. are potential applications? Like, you know, I, I think there's applications for for um, people with visual, you know, impairment to be able to interact with uh, with robots. There's applications for you know therapy. Mm -hmm to use different materials and different tactile interactions for people to um, have a more um, intimate and a more um, tactile mm -hmm. relationship with a robotic object. Um, there's uh, applications just for the expressivity of our, our design space, being able to, you know, it's just like when they started using concrete in architecture, suddenly you have whole new way of making buildings and we have a whole new way of thinking about our living spaces so I think once you have more more ways to, to more more colors in your design palette of social robots that includes soft robotics then we can have more interesting and more innovative designs so these are all application areas that I can see mm -hmm. yeah so for soft robotics do you think that it could find its room for industry now? Do you think it is really welcoming to have soft robotics? How how you receive the soft robotics now in the industrial sector? 
yeah, I think, I mean, I don't see any reason why industry would not be open to, to this technology. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be determined by the, by the business logic of, uh, of these things. And I think there's, there's no shortage of uh, ability to manufacture these kinds of robots. So, so we don't, I don't think we're facing a technological barrier to making this mass manufactured um, technology. And so if the, if the cost benefit of it makes sense to business, I think the industry is definitely in a place that where these things can be applied. Mm-hmm. It all depends on, on what the, what, what the pragmatic benefit of it is. Mm-hmm. So for your like Blossom robot, it is already commercialized. Do you, it's a robot you have developed. It's, a, it's an open hardware and open software platform. So mm-hmm. it's been we you know people can make their own Blossom yeah. robot. You can download all the files and and part of the part of the you know the point of the Blossom project was to enable more people to build to build robots and to be able to. You know, make a robot without having to know how to do, you know, 3D printing and CAD. Mm-hmm. And I also want to connect this idea of craft because craft is something that is much more accessible to most people yeah. than um, engineering design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know of at least three universities that have built their own so Blossom robots. So you can say it's commercialized, but it's not commercialized because they just download the files and build it. Mm-hmm. And maybe more. It's hard to know how many people have built Blossom robots. Mm. Cool. But it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an open source project, open hardware. Do you think that, just a side question about singularity and robotics, do you think that we have to be apprehensive about robotics in the future? That Because in your talks you highlight this point that robots should be hand by hand to to human being. But do you think that we can reach point of singularity, we don't know where we're going, in robotics in general? What what do you think about this point? About the singularity? Yeah. I I think uh, different thinkers and roboticists and uh, philosophers mm-hmm. are really divided on this, um, and they kind of fall into the two camps. I'm personally not concerned about it. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't see. That as being um, a big uh, worry. I think we have a lot of. Again, I I I don't I, I don't like to talk about the future, but yeah. I can say that today we have a lot of um, societal and political problems around the use of AI. Mm-hmm. And I think we I think it's really great that people are starting to wake up to this question of like what does AI serve in our society and how do we mm-hmm. how is it used and what is it was it what is its political mm-hmm. uh, content mm-hmm. and and from this perspective I think the way that we use technologies like robotics and AI um, even today should be a concern of, uh, of anybody who's interested in what our society is doing. And it starts from whether we want, you know, robots as salespeople in malls, or whether we want robots in on the battlefield. Um, you know, people are talking about the ethics of autonomous cars. Mm-hmm. And it's not 
it doesn't have to be a question of you know the singularity of robots having their own consciousness or having their own or robots having you know so much intelligence that we're not able to control them mm-hmm. so much as it is I think in the end it's a question of like how do we build and use our tools to promote the values that we want to promote and this is a question that I think should be um, taken seriously with any technology and especially the technology that uh, has the potential to make um, I, I do believe that robotics and AI have a potential to make a, a very significant difference in our you know workforce in our econo- economy and in, in the way that we manage our lives and so in this case I think we should be careful about how, how we design them mm-hmm. so uh, if I would like to ask you about do you prove with or just it that we can launch AI, for instance, in self-driving car. That's, I think this is like a hot debate that AI is still under research and we can not put black boxes in, in, in certain, certain applications like self-driving car or any applications. So do you think we have to wait more or just go for it and test in, in real users? So. You think we, we, we can? I think like, just like with any technology, I, I, I believe that we need to regulate the way that we are introducing it into the public mm-hmm. sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like I can't make a, a new drug against you know headaches and yeah. just sell it and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, I see. That's, yeah. <laughs> I, I got the answer. Yeah. You can just go ahead and say, well, I have this idea and I think it works and... I'm going to show you that mm-hmm. a million people t- took it and it's fine mm-hmm. and uh, just try it in Arizona and see yeah. how it works. So I think anything that ha- that has, a, you know, cars are pretty, they can be pretty painful when yeah. they hit. Exactly. And, uh, and I think that people should not be able, I, I, I generally feel that, that, they, that you know, The, there's a somehow a reduced understanding mm-hmm. on, about the relationship between the public and the private sphere. Mm-hmm. It seems to be clear. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And I think there was a clearer discussion of like what is what is you know being regulated and how what belongs to the public and what belongs to private yeah. corporations. And now it seems like there seems to be a, somehow. A, a lot of confusion about about this and, and specifically yeah if, if, you, if you're developing a dangerous new technology yeah you should not be able to test it in the in the wild mm. I think that's I think just common sense yeah yeah that's true but uh, it, it's also applied soft robotics somehow we have if for material or just new material we have to make sure it's applicable so it's applied to the same rule so It's really important point to be highlighted. Yeah, I agree with I, you. I like to tell people there's nothing there's nothing special about robotics. Yeah, you know? exactly. Common sense should still be used. Yeah, that's in true. Both directions. You know, yeah. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know, some some technologies really make a you know, I mean, many technologies over the years made a huge difference on the way that our world looks. Mm-hmm. From you know, refined oils to um, cars to, you know, and I think AI is, is one of those and it's hard to measure exactly 
Mm-hmm. What the, and I don't think that you know. I think people are just looking for these simple. It's either the most important and amazing thing or it's the worst thing. But every technology has its you know its impact, and the, the more it's being used, and the more it actually affects the way that we make decisions. Uh, you know, the more it's um, mm-hmm. it's something that that we should be considering on a societal and political level. Yeah. Yeah. So for now that you in in the robots you develop, you combine AI and soft robotics. So up to now, do you think we have to come up with terminology that have to combine AI and soft robotics? Do, do you think about this is really could be um, addressed point in the in the research how AI and soft robotics can be integrated? So I've always liked the idea of calling so even in my in my PhD work I yeah. was very focused on this idea of embodied intelligence and yeah. I've also talked about this idea of embodied intelligence yeah. um, and, I, and I like that because I think that this is how we how we are intelligent mm. uh, I think our intelligence grows from the way that we use our bodies and our intelligence is very is very um, integrated in the way that we use our bodies so if you're you know if you had a lot to eat, you might not be in the best state to write a research grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think the, I think with soft robotics, these things are becoming, you know, maybe it's just a great opportunity to try to think about this integration. And again, because the thing that I'm most interested in these days is, is sensing and sensors mm-hmm. uh, within the side, within this area of, of soft robotics. Um, so we actually see a great opportunity because of the softness of the material to be able to sense more than you could with this very dis, you know, disconnected way of just having a camera or a force sensor, etc. Mm-hmm. So, so I would call it integrated or embodied intelligence. Yeah. That's for soft robotics. It's just the, generally the idea that you can use the physical aspects. Mm-hmm. To do something smart. Awesome. So, uh, from your perspective, how we can engage general public in soft robotics or human computer actions? Do you think how we can do that? Engaging. I think uh, I mean, we should. I think the way that people are most engaged in something is when they can do it themselves. You know, use do hands-on. Experiment with it, with it themselves, build something. So, one of the things that, that happens right now, you have a lot of these like robotics construction kits, and so we have um, the Blossom project. Is, is we mm. we do workshops with kids that can uh, that can assemble a, a Blossom, but with a lot of these more uh, materials, sort of like cast-based robotics. Um, it's hard to do like a little workshop of a few hours where people can design their own. So I think we should think about activities where people can, you know, build their own soft robot or design it and then have it cast. Um, and, and and so having people be able to see the principles themselves and kind of try it themselves is always the best way to engage people in, in any field to make them interested. Mm-hmm. And for regulation, do you think we have to do something that um, to awareness about soft robotics or robotics in general? Do you think this something could be uh, addressed? 
So I don't understand the question. Uh, for soft robotics, do you think we have to add more regulation about um, how we can interact with robotics? Because up to now, we do, maybe many of us doesn't have any awareness how to interact with robotics. And I think just in terms of the, the regulation needs to be in direct relevance to whether we're dealing with any dangerous aspect of it. So again, I don't think it's different in any other field. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for soft robotics or robotics in general, do you think we have to integrate it in L education in schools? For instance, uh, Elon Musk didn't want to do his kids to go to school and he saw that maybe if we have to learn basic skills of like wrenching, design. Do you agree with this kind of thought that too, we have to integrate soft, soft robotics or robotics in general in L education? I, I think it could be a great way for students to learn about, for kids to learn about, you know, various aspects of, you know, physics and chemistry. And I think, mm-hmm. it, I think it would be a very engaging uh, project. Um, I don't think, I don't, I don't think people should not go to school. I it seems like two different questions. Uh-huh. Whether Elon Musk, I don't, know, I don't want to comment on Elon Musk's mm-hmm. decision, but, uh, but, yeah, I think I think robotics has, seems to be a great way for kids to get interested in a lot of uh, engineering topics, and, and I think social robotics gives opportunity to to teach um, about topics that are not there in regular you know, robotics. And specifically, I think also because a lot of a lot of social robotics is, is is using these methods that are kind of mirroring a lot of historical manufacturing methods like uh, you know cast molding mm-hmm. um, and and so it would actually be interesting to, to show this in the, in the historical context of how we manufacture our world um, and, and, and bring this together not just with uh, the robotics aspect but also with the design and manufacturing and maybe with the history of manufacturing part of that mm-hmm. okay so more about about what really sparked your interest in engineering when it's when it was young what really sparked interest and how was your studies really equipped you to do research recently in human interaction something really inspires you um, so I I mean, I, I went to Montessori elementary school and Montessori is a very hands-on education. You just do a lot of projects where you're building things and you're, you know, connecting things. And it's a very, very um, constructionist kind of, I don't know if it's formally the right word, but it's an approach where you learn by doing. Um, and so I, I've always been kind of equally interested in, in doing things and building things and, uh, and also with math mm-hmm. and uh, the more philosophical aspects of, of math. Um, and so this is, this is what brought me personally into robotics eventually. Um, although, as I said, I've, I've always been kind of equally interested in, in the humanities as well. So I think the I think the the real 
interesting parts of research are at the at the place where where these things intersect. Mm-hmm. So at the BG supervisor, what what the main qualities you're looking for uh, the BG student? Yeah. So the main qualities I'm looking for are communication. Mm-hmm. Be able to clearly communicate what you're doing and what you need help with and what you're struggling with and what you're you have been doing I, I think um, generally one of the biggest things that a PhD student needs to have is sort of a clarity of thought and this is being shown mostly through clarity of writing so this mm-hmm. is uh, you know you can learn all the technical sides but it's very it's very important to be able to have kind of like a, a clear way that you can that your logic works you know mm-hmm. and that one idea leads to another. Yeah. Um, and what would be the advice I would give to PhD students, um, academic researchers? Yeah. I would say take your time, you know, read papers in detail. Um, be, you know, be diligent. Don't just try to be. Uh, be done as fast as possible, but uh, but try to really understand something and uh, yeah, and and also be trust your instincts in terms mm-hmm. of what's interesting. Yeah. Uh, try to find something that's interesting to you and try to you know honestly understand what kind of contribution what you want to make in, in the field and. Um, and what you want to be remembered for. I think uh, PhD students um, should very quickly after they start their PhD start -hmm. thinking about what they want to contribute Mm -hmm. to the the knowledge and not just keep being a student of trying to learn classes and you know trying to solve problems because you have to sort of make a switch and become more active in, in the contribution you want to make. Okay. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time and above I Rest Soft Robotics Committee. I would like to thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.